Hey, this is Clay Masters. And I'm Kate Payne. And this is an Iowa caucus. Hey, Drew. Yes. I'm just going to let everybody just fill the line registry to come in. Oh, thank you. And I have of, somebody at the end of the line. And you're out of voter registration cards. I know. Sounds like chaos, right? Dozens of people in the room. We're not really sure how many at this point. There are kids, a few people just wandering the halls. Are you folks part of this caucus? Okay, we're going to close the doors. This audio you're hearing is a precinct caucus at Roosevelt High School in Des Moines in 2016. The precinct captain is trying to help caucus goers figure out where they need to physically stand in the room. Across the state, Iowans gather at hundreds of sites like this one on caucus night. A surrogate for each candidate will get up and talk and defend their choice. Some might try to persuade caucus goers to switch candidates. It can be quick. Or it can take hours. And all the hubbub you hear about Iowa going first in deciding the president of the United States of America, this is what it's all about. If you didn't fill out a registration form, we cannot count you. From the newsroom of Iowa Public Radio, this is Caucus Land. I didn't ever see it coming. It swept over me. You started to say, oh, wait, there, there's something going on here. We're bringing you a series focused on the Iowa caucuses. It felt like the kind of stuff that should have been happening in a back room, but there it was. In this first episode, we're going to cover a lot of history in a short amount of time. We're going to tell you how Iowa became first. And why it's important. We're getting some help from some longtime Iowa journalists and caucus veterans. I remember covering candidates from morning till night on New Year's Day that year. That included back-to-back events in Ames for Hillary Clinton and John Edwards, and I recall just enormous crowds for those events. These first few episodes, we're going to be talking about the backstory. And later this summer, we'll be bringing you along as we report on the caucuses in real time. We'll bring you to diners, to the state fair. Corporations are people, my friend. We'll talk to candidates. Washington is working great for a thinner and thinner slice at the top. And voters. I love Iowa's opportunity to get to know these people on a personal basis. For the next several months, Iowa is at the center of the political universe. Yeah, this is, this is fun. But we are talking about the American presidency here. This is serious business. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it'll be the 1960s. Caucus Land is sponsored by Cornell College and by Gravitate Coworking providing flexible workspace for freelancers, remote workers, teams, or anyone sending emails from a couch or a coffee shop, including those in Iowa for the caucuses. With premier co-working spaces in downtown Des Moines and Historic Valley Junction. Learn more at gravitatecoworking.com. This is Caucus Land from Iowa Public Radio. Iowa hasn't always been first in line for the presidential nominating process. For decades, party elites handpicked candidates. Most states didn't have primaries. Until the late 1960s, when voters protested, calling on party leaders to become more accountable and more democratic. That's where the caucus story starts, with chaos. It was 1968, and America was in turmoil. The Democratic Party tore itself apart that year. That's David Yepsen, a longtime political reporter with the Des Moines Register, who now hosts the Iowa public television show, Iowa Press. The Democratic National Convention was in Chicago in 68, and protests over the Vietnam War and for civil rights rocked the city. The country was in crisis. The sitting president, Lyndon Johnson, wasn't running for re-election, and without a clear nominee, the party was tearing itself apart. What happened here on the streets of Chicago last night is an indication of the mentality that is abroad in America today. 
This audio is from the Chicago Film Archive, depicting the violent clashes between protesters and police, delegates and campaign volunteers. If you can get across, make your voice heard, might possibly have some effect. Why they came out of that convention saying, we've got to open this party up to more people, uh, we've got to make it accessible, we've got to keep people informed, we've got to give people the ability to participate in platform discussions. Yepsen says back in Iowa, Democrats saw an opportunity, especially its governor, Harold Hughes, who pushed for proportional representation in delegate selection. The Iowans looked at this and said, well, if there's a national convention in August and we want to have people participate and be involved in selecting delegates, we've really got to have our state convention in June. Uh, If we do that, we've got to have our our district conventions in May. We've got to have our county conventions in in uh, April. And my gosh, with all these precincts we have, we're going to have to do these uh, precinct caucuses in, um, in February. People disagree on how calculated this move was, and some historians say it was purely practical. They just needed more time to handle party business and all the extra paperwork. Either way, candidates saw an opening. And a campaign worker named Gary Hart pushed Democrat George McGovern to take Iowa seriously in 1972. McGovern didn't win, but he did better than expected and went on to be the nominee in 1972. But it wasn't until 1976 that Iowa really cemented its place in the line of picking presidential candidates. It was taken seriously in in 72, um, and the New York Times wrote about these events. But it was really in in the 75-76 cycle that Carter, unknown former Georgia governor, campaigns here in Iowa, Uh, gets a plurality victory. He goes all the way to the White House. One of Iowa Public Radio's reporters was covering politics back then. I'm Dean Borg. I am a correspondent with Iowa Public Radio. And I've been involved in the caucuses uh, since the inception of the caucuses. Borg remembers Jimmy Carter being an outsider, but Iowans kind of liked him. He came to Iowa as an unknown He came to Iowa as a peanut farmer. You know, this is corn and soybeans country and beef and pork and a peanut farmer and a governor of Georgia. Well, uh, he was um, kind of a curiosity in himself. Jimmy Carter knows what it's like to work for a living. Until he became governor, he put in 12 hours a day in his shirt sleeves during harvest at his farm. Can you imagine any of the other candidates for president working in the hot August sun? That's why Jimmy Carter has a special understanding of the problems facing everyone who works for a living. America needs someone like this as president. Vote for Jimmy Carter in your Democratic primary. There's this old video of Carter being interviewed about his Iowa win. It's an early preliminary skirmish, but I think it is a good indication to the rest of the nation who are interested in the election, and there's a growing interest, that uh, when six major campaigns are conducted in a state as uh, democratically oriented as uh, Iowa, that uh, I did have a chance to come in first. It shows a good acceptance of a broad base of uh, constituent (coughs) interest, and... uh, You can't tell until we go through the other 49 states, but it's encouraging, of course. You can hear similar narratives in this interview to the current 2020 campaign, like Carter pointing out early polls being all about name ID. Well, the only ones that show up this early in the national polls, like Gallup, Harris, and Roper, are the ones who are extremely well-known. And uh, invariably, those are the ones who've run for president before and lost. And the more times you run for president and lose, the better you show up in the early polls. 
But, of course, the way to overcome that is to do well in some actual election processes. So I think that in the next three or four weeks, uh, with successes like this one in Iowa, perhaps repeated in a few other states, uh, I think my name recognition will come up even above those uh, who are not running for president and who have run in the past unsuccessfully. Carter didn't technically win, though. He came in second behind uncommitted, meaning there were more people who didn't know who to support than people who actually caucused for Jimmy Carter. But the story out of the caucuses was that Jimmy Carter was the winner. In 1975, pretty much no one thought the peanut farmer from Plains, Georgia, could ever win the Democratic presidential nomination. And then, of course, he did. And the political community nationally said, well, something was going on out there. Yeah. And so at what point did Iowans, I guess, take on this mantle of responsibility and recognize that they did have a role here? Iowans realized from the very beginning this was going to be first, and they knew it would have some impact. No one predicted it would turn into the kind of event that it has become today. It just grows every year, more candidates spending more time, more money, more staff, um, uh, to the point now where there's always somebody um, doing something presidential in this state's politics. And while Iowa caucus winners don't always go on to take the nomination, the caucuses can elevate political careers like it did for George H.W. Bush in 1980, which we'll talk about after this break. This is Iowa Public Radio's Caucus Land. Caucus Land is sponsored by Gravitate Coworking and by Cornell College in Mount Vernon, Iowa, where students get a first-in-the-nation hands-on experience with the political process every election cycle. Explore interdisciplinary learning at cornellcollege.edu. If you like what you've just heard, like and share this episode. Use the hashtag caucusland. Please take a few seconds to visit caucusland.com to sign up for the latest news and updates sent to your inbox. Your support makes Caucusland possible. Take a few minutes and donate to IPR. Whether it's $5, $10, or more, your gift is an investment in high-quality journalism. It's Iowa Public Radio's Caucus Land. I'm Clay Masters. I'm Kate Payne. In 1976, Jimmy Carter had done really well. He came in second to Uncommitted and then went on to secure the nomination. And this thing, the early Iowa caucuses that started as a process for the Democrats got noticed by Republicans in the state who also saw an opportunity. Then-candidate George H.W. Bush decided Iowa was worth the trip, and he did quite well, using a similar strategy to Jimmy Carter's. Iowa Press, a weekly news interview program for Sunday, April 22nd. Here's our Dean Borg pressing Bush on IPTV's Iowa Press in 1970. Doesn't it frustrate you to be constantly asked about Ronald Reagan and without having Ronald Reagan visible before the people, he's back? No, uh, it would frustrate me if I weren't being able to put together the strongest, best organization in this state. If his invisibility uh, denied me access to people or kept people from failing to commit to me, then I would be frustrated. And Bush would go on to win the caucuses in 1980, defeating Ronald Reagan. Of course, Reagan would go on to secure the nomination. Bush went on to become vice president and eventually won the presidency. This is the kind of attention candidates in 2020 want to get. Keeping an eye on winning outright, but also elevating their political careers. And from these early cycles on out, the caucuses just grew and grew. 
Candidates saw the benefits of early exposure, the chance at an early win, and if not a win this cycle, name recognition and a national platform. By and large, they couldn't turn it down. There's this saying here that there are three tickets out of Iowa. First class, business, and coach. The caucuses are what they are. It's a platform in order to be able to reach the Iowa constituency, either the Democratic or the Republican uh, Party, who will give, um, as you say, three tickets out of here to go on to New Hampshire and, and so on. Okay, we're going to do some time traveling now. There were some slow cycles. In 1992, Democratic Senator Tom Harkin of Iowa ran for president, and it made Bill Clinton pretty much skip Iowa. We wanted to focus on George W. Bush, who did quite well in the 2000 caucuses. We called up Joyce Russell, a recently retired Iowa public radio reporter who covered W. The tremendous enthusiasm that his campaign generated, the intense speculation ahead of his announcement to run, um, I think because of his family heritage, there was bipartisan interest in him. I mean, I saw Republicans and Democrats turning out to see him. Russell says George W. Bush also tapped into a big evangelical voting base that was fired up by Pat Robertson in 1988. You can hear how audiences warmed to Bush in this debate from 1999 as ethanol subsidies came up. I support ethanol, and I support ethanol strongly. And I support ethanol whether I was here in Iowa or not. And the reason I do... And for you non-Iowans listening, or those of you who never watched the West Wing, ethanol is a biofuel made from corn, which presidential candidates tend to find themselves in love with right around the Iowa caucuses. Just a reminder to the audience, you only take away from the time that the candidates have when you do that. I know I was, that it's so tempting. I was just warming up. Here's Joyce Russell interviewing George W. Bush in between campaign stops on his bus. You've been calling it uh, American leadership in a dangerous world. How would you compensate for a lack of experience in foreign policy? Well, first of all, uh, I know what I believe. I know the principles by which I'll make decisions, and that is America must seize the moment, and America must promote the peace. And we can do so with a strong, vibrant military. We can also do so technologically with anti-ballistic missile systems. And he went on to say that he, he had foreign policy experience because he dealt with Mexico as the governor of Texas. But it's chilling, to, it's chilling, of course, to hear those comments when the nation was still so innocent of the tragedy of 9-11. That's what's so stunning about the caucuses. Iowans get a front row view of these candidates when they're still growing into themselves. And they get to ask, are you ready? And they get to be in the middle of this political circus. Since Carter jump-started the process in 1976, the caucuses have exploded. It's hard to overstate how much attention Iowans get. Honestly, it's bizarre. One candidate moved their family to the state. Oprah just shows up sometimes to endorse people. There's this cliche here that Iowans want a candidate to do their dishes before they'll caucus for them. Which is an exaggeration. But honestly, it's not that far off base. And it's still playing out in 2020. The two dozen Democrats coming to Iowa are hoping to break through like Jimmy Carter in 1976 or get noticed like George H.W. Bush in 1980, all vying for one of those three tickets out of Iowa. Because more than anything, Iowa winnows the field. At the end of this, we probably won't know who will be the next president, but we'll have a better idea of who won't be. Again, David Yepsen. There will not be 15 or 20 candidates the day after the Iowa caucuses to go to New Hampshire. You will cut that. We will, Iowa will serve the role of cutting that field uh, down to size. And that's where we're going to leave things for this first episode. But next time on Caucus Land, we'll bring you the story of a candidate who made his name in Iowa. They said this day would never come. 
Before we go, we want to hear your stories of the Iowa caucuses in a segment we're calling Only in Iowa. And to give you an example of what we're talking about, here's David Yepsen. I remember Joe Biden one time, uh, we were in, this was about 87, showing up in Carroll, Iowa late at night and checking into the Carrollton Inn. Senator Biden and another staffer, me, maybe a couple other staff. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And uh, so the staffer says to the clerk, uh, hey, is there some place we can get something to eat? And the guy said, well, there's not much. There's a Godfather's Pizza down the, the street. And uh, the staffer said, okay, can you call us a cab? And the guy looked at him and said, well, we don't have cabs. But the, the kid, the clerk reached into the, his pocket and said, took out his car keys and handed him, handed them to the staffer and said, here, take my car. But you got to be back in an hour. I got a date <laughs> at midnight. Um, and so we zoomed off. It's funny. The car was a, one of those jacked up model cars. It called a Judge, and it had the, it literally had you know little white puff balls around the windshield. And, and so here is uh, United States Senator Joseph Biden behind the wheel of this car, racing off down the dark streets of of Carroll, Iowa. We get to the Godfather's Pizza, order quickly. And um, munched down. Biden was very nervous about getting that car back. And so he bought an extra pizza. And we drove back, and Biden handed the keys and the pizza to the guy and said, uh, uh, thanks very much. <laughs> the, the kid was sort of dumbfounded. All right, we want to hear your Only in Iowa stories. The number to call if you have one, 888-893-2036. Just leave us a voicemail. Caucus Land is produced by myself, Kate Payne, Clay Masters, and John Pemble. With production support from Jason Burns, Sean McLean, and Nick Brinks. Our music was composed by Garrett Schmid and performed by Garrett and Aaron James. Our news director is Michael Leland. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. Subscribe to Caucus Land wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and share the show. Caucus Land is a production of Iowa Public Radio News.